0: The scripture today this is luke chapter 22 verses 7 to 22 then came the day of unleavened bread on which the passover lamb had to be sacrificed so jesus sent peter and john saying go and prepare the passover for us that we may eat it they said to him where will you have us prepare it he said to them behold when you have entered the city a man carrying a jar of water will meet you Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house <clears throat> and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, "Where is the guest room? Where may I eat the Passover with my disciples?" And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he has told them as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed.
1: Amen. All right, hey guys. Uh, we are coming to the close of our series called Welcome Home. And uh, today, just wanna to say today, Michelle mentioned this earlier, today is Palm Sunday. So Palm Sunday is today, this is the, this is the day where Jesus, uh, your, your subtitle in your scriptures will often say like the triumphal entry or the triumphant entry. Uh, and, but I don't know if i describe it as that. Although it appears that way because Jesus comes into Jerusalem and they're praising him, right? They're saying, Hosanna. They are, they're, they're like celebrating him. Uh, but we know what comes next, right? We know that Good Friday is right around the corner, Jesus' crucifixion. And then next Sunday, we're going to celebrate the resurrection. And so we're, to the, like, so we're coming to the close of our series. We've talked about welcome healing, forgiveness, perspective, expectation, uh, sacrifice. Today we're talking about welcome suffering, and then next week we'll, we'll talk about welcome home and, and what that looks like for us. And, and what we've been doing is, is I've been trying to show you guys that sharing your faith is actually a very natural occurrence of being a follower of Jesus. And what we do when we share faith is we welcome people into these things because Jesus has displayed these things for us. He, is, he has shown us these things. And and as we've gone through the meals of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke and centered around, centered around these tables where Jesus invites people to the table, we've seen him do these different things, welcome people into healing and forgiveness and expectation and, and sacrifice. And at this table, he's gonna welcome suffering. And, and that's uh, that's not something that we often talk about. So you're talking about, you, you may be thinking, oh, well, sharing your faith, like why would we welcome people into suffering? Well. What you have to realize about following Jesus is that he lived a life of suffering. So if we're gonna live a life that looks like his, we're gonna enter into suffering. What we also need to realize is this life is full of suffering. Everybody suffers, right? It matters what you're doing it for, how you're doing it, what it is, and what your perspective on it is. So I I have a bunch of scars on my body from different things. And I've talked about that with you guys before, but I have, like, I talked about a few weeks ago, I have a huge scar on my knee from something. I have a huge scar on my thigh from, like, a biking accident. I have, uh, like, all the skin was scraped off my pinky in some other accident. I've got, like, a knife tick on my chest here. Um, I've been kicked by a zebra. I've been, like, I get a sea urchin scar. I got, I've been thrown to the ground by an elephant before. Like, I have, there, there's all these all these different scars I have my body, burn scars. I even have like a glue gun scar from HomEC in grade six. Uh, and I could tell you all of these stories, and I could tell you how glorious all of them are. And and uh, but actually, when they were happening, they weren't very glorious. They weren't. It was actually a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. And I, in a lot of uncertainty and a lot of the unknown, I wondered, am I gonna get healed from this? Is this gonna heal? Am I gonna be the same? And the reality was I wasn't the same. I still live with these scars. And, and some of these made me stronger. Some of these built something into me. I learned something from some of these. Uh, some of these still cause pain and heartache today. And, and this is life, right? It's We live lives of suffering. And you could go through all your scars, your physical scars, your emotional scars, your mental scars, your spiritual scars, and you could tell me stories about all those things. But would they lead to glory? Would they be stories of glory? In Christ Jesus, your suffering and the scars that your suffering leaves can actually lead to stories of glory in Christ because there's a new perspective, because there's there's something, as we follow Jesus, there's something that suffering does in us. And if you look at the the book of 1 Peter, Peter is writing to, to the new church that is called the diaspora. They have spread out because of persecution. The church has spread, so this is Acts 8. Saul is persecuting the church, the church spreads spreads out. And, and in, through persecution, the church is actually birthed and catalyzed like through suffering. Do you guys realize that? Jesus births the church through his suffering. Acts 8, this immense persecution, catalyzes this movement. And we see the church go all over the known world. And, and so Peter is writing to this group, and he says these words in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, Beloved, Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to what? To test you, as though something strange were happening to you. He's like, why are you surprised? Why why do you think it's strange? Why are you reacting as though it's something abnormal? He says, but rejoice. Rejoice. What? Rejoice. Rejoice. Why would we rejoice in suffering? This word is literally uh, boast. Why why would we do that? Um, Why would we rejoice in it? Why would we take joy in suffering? He says, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that, wait, I kind of just read over that. You see that again? Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Do you know why you don't rejoice over suffering? Because you're not sharing Christ's suffering. Not all suffering is, is sharing in Christ's suffering, by the way. All right, so we're not, I'm not making a blanket statement on suffering here. Peter says, as long as you're sharing in Christ's suffering, that isn't just, that isn't just the reality, the spiritual reality, that is a spiritual perspective. Because you, guess what? You can still suffer for righteousness' sake, which is what Peter is talking about here, but you may not have the right perspective on it. So how are you gonna rejoice in it? You're not. You're gonna say, this is hard. Why is God doing this? This shouldn't be the case. But, but he says here, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Why? Because we're more like Jesus. And he says, so that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Look at how many times glory is paired with suffering in, these, in, these, uh, uh, in this short passage. So we see it here, glory and suffering. All right, verse 14. He says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are not cursed, you're blessed. You're blessed. We think of it as cursing. Have you been cursed by somebody because you're following Jesus? Have you been insulted for the name of Christ? I was just, that just happened to me a couple weeks ago. Um, and it wasn't nice. It didn't feel like a blessing when it happened. Uh, it felt like a curse, it didn't feel good. I wasn't like, yeah, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, that hurts, and God, what do I do with this? And I was reminded of this, because he says you were blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Again, what what do we have here? Glory. Let him glorify God in that name. Is that the end of it? Yeah. Um, So we see glory and suffering paired a lot. And, And that's hard because a lot of us want glory a lot of us want to bask in God's glory. A lot of us want to see God glorified. But do we also want to see suffering in the, in the same amount? Well, according to Peter, they go together. So without, without suffering, we may not even see glory, right? So um, in this passage, Jesus knows what's coming, right? He he knows that in a few hours like, a lot of bad things are going to start happening. And, and so even in this passage, we don't get a glimpse into this in the scriptures, but, but think about this. He knows what's going to happen. So how do you think he is emotionally and mentally and spiritually right now? We kind of get a glimpse of this in the garden. So from the Last Supper, he goes to the garden, and he's, he's uh, like blood is coming out of his pores, guys. as he's he's weeping and praying to God. Uh, So that gives us a picture of of even now he's undergoing some sort of torment, some sort of suffering, right? So keep that in mind as as we go into this passage. He says here in in 22 verse seven, then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So you're gonna see Passover in this short passage mentioned five times. Luke reminds us that this is the Passover five different times in this passage. Why? Why why would he make a point to say this is the Passover, this is Passover, Passover, Passover? Why why would he do that? Well, because he's putting this, putting Jesus, putting this event uh, in this theological context of the rest of the scriptures. So all the way back, all the way back to Exodus chapter 12 was when the Passover was first instituted. And and this is Israel in bondage, in captivity. They are being persecuted. They are suffering. They're slaves. And they are in this land that is not their own with the people that that are not their own. And guess what, guys? God has promised them something way Back hundreds of years before then he's promised them something and it hasn't come to fruition yet so they're even suffering under that right, I mean think about that if you knew the Lord had promised you something how many of you guys feel like don't raise your hands, how many of you guys feel like oh God's promised me something and, and when, when is it coming where, where is it and you've, it's been a month or it's been a year God, you promised me this spouse and I'm still waiting and I'm whatever years old. God, you promised me that I would succeed in life and, and, and I'm still waiting for that. Like I still don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. God, you said you would lead me and I'm still waiting for that. These guys waited hundreds of years. They're still waiting for the promise. Think about it. And, and they're in this, in this nation that is not their own in captivity, in bondage, and God says, "I'm here to rescue you," and I'm going to do this through the Passover. And so, so get a lamb, guys, because you're in this foreign land. Get a lamb, a baby sheep, right? Spotless, unblemished. Uh, kill it for the for the meal. Eat the lamb. Get the blood. Wipe it on your doorpost. And in those moments, we're like, "Oh, what a weird thing, right? A lamb." And the blood, what is the, why, why blood? It seems very morbid. Why is he wiping blood on the doorposts? Why, why would he do that? We don't actually get a full picture of that until Good Friday. And, and why? Because guess what? Jesus' blood, it's wiped on the doorposts of the cross, right? So we have here this Passover lamb, and all the Israelites put the blood on, and the angel of death passes over everybody's house who has the sacrificial lamb's blood on their door. And, and then, you know, in the, in, the, in, the, in the succeeding chapters, they're rescued out of their bondage. And he says this is also called the feast of unleavened bread. And it's called that because uh, they were to eat unleavened bread, so bread that did not have yeast in it. And Exodus says they do this because they're supposed to, they didn't have time to wait for it to rise. Uh, so with bread, you got to put the yeast in, then you kind of cover it, you wait for it to rise. It's like, you don't have time for that. You need to operate in haste. And so this is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to remind you that there's an urgency to your faith. There's an urgency to your faith. Do you guys realize that this morning? That there's an urgency to your faith. There's an urgency for you to share others, uh, to share Jesus with others. There's an urgency in that, and here we are stuck in our exams, here we are stuck in our schooling, here we're stuck in our jobs, here we're stuck in our raising our kids, here you're stuck in a relationship, and that's all your focus. And he says, there should be an urgency to your faith to invite other people in, because guess what? God is here to rescue us. He's here to rescue you out of bondage and captivity, and and you don't want people to live in that any longer. God has promised something for them, guys. God has promised something for you, and we're the agents of reconciliation to bring to the world this message in haste. And we should be going forth and doing that. So Jesus says here to Peter and John, "'Go and prepare the Passover for us, "'that we may eat it.' "'And they said to him, where?' Where do you want us to do that? He says to them, behold, I love Jesus. Throughout every passage, I think, I've preached in this series so far, there's a behold. I, and I told you, when, whenever, whenever you see behold in the scriptures, it's like the Holy Spirit's smacking you in the face. It's like, wake up. Something important is about to happen. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you something, something important. I should just like start putting that in my regular conversations. Like, behold, I'm going to get milk from the store, because uh, like, when you read this in the scriptures, you like wake up, right? It's like, okay, Jesus is about to say something. So he says to Peter and John, behold, when you've entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you. I love how Jesus calls himself that. The teacher, like the guy's like supposed to be like, oh yeah, I know, the rabbi, That's Like, Jesus doesn't have a synagogue, right? That's what this word, like, he doesn't have a synagogue. He's not, like, the only one in in Jerusalem who's a rabbi, right? But he says, hey, tell him, the rabbi told you this. Where's the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he'll show you a large upper room, furnished, prepared there. And they went, found it just as they had told them, and they prepared the Passover, six years ago when, when um, yeah, I guess it was about six years ago, five, six years ago uh, when we had moved here to start the church, um, I was reading through Luke, and I came to this passage, and I read this passage about this man with a the jar. They're supposed to go in the city, right? They're in, they're in Jerusalem. This isn't a small place. He, he doesn't tell them to go at uh, these cross streets. He's not like, go to King and Dufferin in Jerusalem, he says, just when you go in the city, you're going to see a man carrying the jar, and he's going to have water, like there's only one of those, right, I mean, it's just, and they just say, okay, and, and then follow him, they don't say, like, talk to him, they just say, hey, just, like, follow him, like, behind him, and watch for the house that he enters into, and then, and then go. So when I was reading through that, I have really sensed a spirit to say, go do this. And like, like I said, this was, this was five, six years ago. And I sensed a spirit telling me, go downtown on the east end of downtown, this, this end where we are, and, and do this. And go look for this guy with a jug of water. <coughs> so I did. I remember getting on the subway, going down, and I'm just praying, and I'm like, this is so weird, what am I doing? This is like, this is crazy. And... I go down, I get off at um, Sherburn, and I kind of walk down and around. I end up at Carlton, right around Allen Gardens. I'm like, I think, I just felt like I should be in that area. And I see a guy carrying a bottle of water. That wasn't a jug, it wasn't a jar, whatever, it was a bottle of water. And I'm like, that's the guy. Um, And (laughs) I didn't talk to him, so I follow him. At a distance, I've seen enough like movies, guys. At a distance, okay. Um, and he goes into this house right on the north side of Allen Gardens. And I stop in front of the house and I'm like, I'm not going in there. And I just laughed, <laughs> and that was it. Like, and I have no idea. Now I know you wanted a better story than that. But you're like, what's gonna happen? I don't know. Like, nothing actually happened out of that. But you know what? Not, nothing tangible. But you know what did happen? God grew my faith in that moment. And I remember thinking, God, hey, I believe that you can do anything with, with uh, what we have here, what we've brought here. I believe you can do anything, God. I believe that you can, you can just, you can move and you can speak. And my faith grew exponentially that day because I just trusted that the Spirit was was doing something. Even if I heard God wrong, I trusted that he was gonna honor just a risk of faith and a step of faith, even if it was the wrong step, right? And we get so concerned whether it's the right step or the wrong step, that that fear just paralyzes us. So what do we do? We don't take any step. Some of us even step back. And we say, God, I don't know which door I'm supposed to go in. And God may be saying, you choose. Like, you know what's sin, don't go in that door. But there's three doors here, and three of them are good doors. You just pick one and walk through and watch me work. And, I, and, and so every time I read this passage, I'm, I'm reminded of that like, foolish act of me following this guy with a like, uh, Fiji water bottle, right? Like, I don't know what, what he had in his hand, um, but it was just a water bottle. And, and so Peter and John do this, and it's a picture of them just really stepping out in faith. And, and actually, they see something prepared, <laughs> an upper room. So when the hour comes, and in verse 14, so the hour comes, and Jesus is reclining at the table. Guys, he's, he knows just in a couple hours, he's gonna be arrested, and he's just relaxing. If that's not a picture of welcome, welcoming suffering, I don't know what is. Most of us wouldn't just be reclining at the table like that, right? But he's just, he's doing the same thing he's been doing. He hasn't changed, but, and he knows it's coming. He's reclining there, the apostles are with him. He says to them, I've earnestly desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. So here's his full statement of recognizing that, right? That suffering is coming, and he says, this is what I've desired, to be around the table with you guys. I've just desired to be here even though suffering is coming. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And we see here Jesus fasting. like He's he's giving something up for the kingdom. Right? He's He's actually entering into suffering here. Right? That's, fasting is this, is this form of, of suffering. It's, it's this form of saying no to something that our body needs um, or in some cases that our body wants. And, and he says, I'm not going to eat or drink until the kingdom of God comes. This is, he's like, this is it. This is, this is the last until we see the kingdom. What are you willing to give up for the kingdom, for the king? Maybe a better question is, what are you not willing to give up? You know, so much of our suffering comes not from righteousness sake, but from unrighteousness sake because of our sin, because of of things that you can't let go of, that you're just holding on to. And God wants to give you something greater than what you have, and you can't let go of it. And and. Our suffering is almost like the prying opening of our hands, right? Like like our suffering helps pry that open so that whatever is in there that we're holding onto can be released, that God can give us something more. And so if you're suffering today, ask the Lord what it's for. Ask the Lord to give you a perspective on it. Ask the Lord to reveal something to you on it. Because there's some of you in here, it's, it's sickness. There's some of you who are just questioning God and questioning your faith. There's some of you who are saying, why why did I even choose to follow Jesus? My life was so much easier and better when I wasn't following Jesus. Right, like, you, you know, especially if you came to faith later in life, like, man, I had a good job. I had, I can do whatever I want in relationships. I can have sex whenever I want. I can make as much money and not give it to the church. I can... I can love money and it'd be fine, I can be happy, I can uh, be successful, you know, all these, whatever it is, whatever your idols were, like, you were chasing those things, you, and, and now you're like, ah, oh, I'm, I'm suffering now, like, like, life seems so much easier. We see this with David in the Psalms, and he's like, God, why do the wicked prosper? He's like, here I am trying to follow you, and why are the wicked prospering? And guys, this is the king. He has everything, right? Everything worldly, he has. And he says, why do the wicked prosper? Because he's suffering, and he's saying, he's saying why, is, why are these things happening? And, and those are legit questions. But the Lord wants to give you a new perspective on suffering. Peter has given us this new perspective, that it's about rejoicing. Paul gives us this, this perspective on, on boasting. And, and so Jesus here, he's given up even more for the kingdom by fasting in this moment. He's showing us something. He's modeling something for us. And and in verse 19 it says, he took the bread and when, when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So Jesus establishes this, this well, he kind of mm-hmm. redeems and, and gives a new meaning, we should say, to the Passover, to communion. So this, that's what this is. That's what we celebrate every Sunday. We celebrate a Passover meal, this this meal that goes all the way back to Exodus 12. So when we remember Jesus, what do we remember? We remember that we were in bondage, that we were in captivity, that uh, we were oppressed, that we were slaves to sin, that, that um, we were agents of unrighteousness, that we were dead in our sin, that we followed the ways of the world, that uh, we followed the prince and power of this heir, Satan, and now, in Christ, we are alive. We have healing, we have forgiveness, we have joy, we have abundance, we have goodness, we have mercy, we have, we have new life, we are new creations, you're ministers of reconciliation, we're ambassadors for Christ, and we remember Jesus and all those things, where we came from and what he did for us in order to make us who we are today because our identity is in him. And that's what this whole meal represents. And so when we take this, this isn't just some, this isn't just some ritual, this isn't just some tradition, This is something very sacred. You know, there's only two ordinances in in the church. One of these is baptism, which we'll celebrate at the end of this month. And and the second one is is this, the Lord's Supper, communion, um, the bread and the cup, however you wanna wanna, uh, term it. Uh, This is something very sacred. So when you approach the table and we take this as a body of Christ, It shouldn't be done flippantly. Guys, do do you know that people get sick and even die in the scriptures from taking communion in the wrong way? Do you realize that? And do you think God changed on that? Do you think now he's like, oh, I was too hard back then. I think I'm gonna be different now. No, it's the same God, right? So when you approach this, it's a sacred moment of entering into the presence of God with the body of Christ. And that's why every time we do communion, I say, hey guys, um, think about this, or or meditate on this, or get yourself right with the Lord in this, or or ask about this. Because it shouldn't be a flippant thing where we just come up and we consume. It should be a thing where we come up and we remember, and we celebrate, and and we just relish in in Christ's sufferings and in his glory. Alright, so... He says here that it is a covenant. And he says, this is the new covenant. God is a God of covenants, as I said earlier. Uh, we see so many covenants in the scriptures. This is the new, this is the new covenant. Jesus didn't, uh, Jesus didn't make this up. He's referring to something very significant that uh, Jeremiah prophesied, that Ezekiel prophesied. Ezekiel said, There will come a time when God's spirit will be put within us, where your heart of stone will be changed out for a heart of flesh. Jeremiah said, this is the new covenant. And and, and so when Jesus says, has the the bread and the cup, he says, this represents that for you. So whenever we take this, it's almost like a renewal. It's a renewing of the covenant for us every time. You're preaching the gospel over yourself every time you take this. And what's key here is not just belief, but relationship. I was talking to uh, Matthew Lilly earlier this week, and, and it was just really beautiful. I wish he could just come up here and say this, but... But it was just he's like, it was really beautiful how he talked about this because so many of us, we believe up here, we believe cognitively, cognitively who God is. you may say yes, there's a God, but do you have relationship? and in relationship there's trust. you are supposed to When you enter into the new covenant, there's a mutuality there like we talked about earlier. There's a relationship that we've entered into with the Trinity, with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's the eternal life. It's the eternal purpose in, in Ephesians. And we've entered into this covenant relationship that is only there because it's built on trusting God. Can you even have a relationship if you don't have trust? But yet, how many of you guys struggle with trust in God on a daily basis? That's what I'm talking about when we take a step back and we're paralyzed by fear. Because we don't just trust that if we take a step forward, God is going to catch us and be there with us. And he's going to direct our steps, he's going to guide our steps, and he's going to push us forward. It's trust, guys. And how can we invite the world into this if we don't trust God? If we don't trust Jesus, how can we invite people into this? If you don't actually have a relationship of trust with Jesus, how can you invite the world into that? All we're doing in sharing our faith is sharing what we know of Jesus, right? We're sharing who Jesus is. We're sharing people, our relationship with Jesus. We're sharing healing and forgiveness and expectation and, and suffering, and how can you do that if you don't have that relationship? So Jesus is trying to, to show us here that when we do this, this is a new covenant. This is a, a new aspect of our relationship. And you, we see him welcoming suffering in these, in these moments. Romans 5 talks about suffering like this. This is Romans five 1 through 5 here. It says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, just, just stop there and, and relish in that truth. Like, let, let yourself sit in that. Let yourself dwell in that truth that if you've been justified, if, if Jesus has put you in a right standing before God because of his sacrifice, because of his blood, you have peace with God through Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. You have peace. If you don't have peace in your life, that may say something about your relationship with Jesus. We, we shouldn't even move forward if you don't have a life of peace If the spirit is in your life, if he's filled you, if he's producing fruit in you, you know what one of those fruits is, what one of those pieces of production is? It is peace. So if you don't have that, then we shouldn't even move forward into suffering because you'll never have peace in suffering if you don't have peace in the fact that you are justified. Identity in Christ first. That's what we talked about here, right? Discovering identity in Christ before we even move to destiny, before we even move to influence. So now he says in the verse 2, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace, 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 in which we stand. It's almost like a triumph, like a triumphal stand. We're standing in his grace and we rejoice. This word is literally boast. What do we boast in? And as Christians, we're like, oh, we shouldn't boast. He says, no, you should. We boast in what? In hope. In hope. Hope isn't this doubtful uncertainty in the New Testament. Hope is actually this, this certainty that is founded on the rock who is Jesus Christ the solid ground, the cornerstone of the church. And so our hope is in Him. It's not in us. If it was in us, we would fail. It wouldn't, it would just be oh, like a hope, like I hope it doesn't rain today. But we know that our hope is certain in Christ Jesus. And He says, boast in that. Not only that, but we rejoice or we boast in what? Our sufferings. Why? Why would we boast in our sufferings? Who wants to suffer? I mean, who wants to live a life that is full of suffering? Well, guess what, guys? You are gonna live a life full of suffering. And if you follow Jesus, that suffering can be redeemed. And he says this is why. Knowing that suffering produces endurance or perseverance, and endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And verse five, hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We boast in hope, we boast in suffering, and in verse 11, we boast in God. More than that, we also rejoice or boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's a different perspective on suffering, right? That, God's trying to give you that this morning. Jesus is trying to give you this perspective on suffering this morning. And you'd say, you could say, well, I'm, I'm fine. I don't need endurance. My character is fine. I don't need that. I have enough hope to make it through life. And if that's your mentality, then you're never going to live the abundant life. You're never going to live the abundant life. We suffer so much because of our own sin. And, and we suffer, like there's, there's a few kinds of suffering. Your own sin, there's suffering for righteousness' sake, which is actually the result of sin too, just someone else's sin, right? But you're still suffering, so it's still sin, uh, but it may not be yours, it's somebody else's sin, maybe against you, uh, where you're suffering for righteousness' sake, like what he's saying, like you're insulted for the name of Christ, for instance. Um, but But here... He says, we are to suffer knowing that it produces all these things. And and that hurts because things are getting chipped away from us. Things are getting rooted out of our soul. Things are getting uh, torn from us that we want to hold on to. Guys, we love our sin, right? Like, we, we love sin sometimes. It's comfortable. We were born into it. Do you realize that? What the Spirit is trying to do in your heart, you were born with. He's taking something out of you that that has been in you since the womb. And it hurts. It doesn't feel great. But you know what else has been in you since the womb? The image of God. The image of God that is crying out in you to form you and to shape you and to come out of you. And that's fighting this sinful nature in us. And Jesus is, Jesus is saying, when you allow suffering to root that out, Paul says here that we get to boast in it, we get to rejoice in it, because guess what? It produces endurance that leads to character, that leads to hope. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul continues on with this theme. This is one of my favorite passages in all the scripture. It is, yeah. It's the passage that the Lord used in mine and Missy's hearts to build into us, to bring us into Toronto. Um, And I love, I I just love this passage. It's so beautiful. So this is being in verse 7 and in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. He says, but we have this treasure. He's talking about the gospel, the the light. Uh, He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to who? To God, not to us. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Do you feel that? Or do you feel crushed? Or, in, or being perplexed, do you feel driven to despair? Is this true for you? In your persecution, Do you actually feel forsaken? When you're struck down, do you actually feel destroyed? He says, no, in Christ Jesus, we are crushed. I mean, we are afflicted, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Why? So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Man, what a... What a powerful truth. You want the life of Jesus to be manifested in your body? Then the death of Jesus has to be manifested in your body. You have to die to your old self. Some of you guys want the life of Jesus without the death of Jesus. You can't have that. You have to carry around the death of Jesus, the suffering of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. He implies that there's people who don't live. The rest of the world is in death. Remember Ephesians 2? They're dead in their sins. He says, but us who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke, we also believe and we also speak. Knowing, knowing in the scriptures isn't just something cognitive, it is a transformational experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ. He says, so knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will do what? Raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. And I love this verse, this next verse. You'll see this in my house. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving. And here's glory again, paired with suffering, to the glory of God. He says it's all for your sake. I guess that when I first read this, I thought it was a little weird because you're like, wait, well, we live for Jesus' sake, right? But no, he says we're doing this for your sake. Guys, we do this for the sake of those who we're supposed to be inviting to the table. We need to live our lives with urgency. We're doing it for their sake. I'm doing this for your sake, Paul is saying. He's like, I've laid myself down to do this for your sake. And, and God uses this verse to propel Missy and I to live on mission, to say, we don't do this for ourselves. We do it for you guys, to empower you, to push you forward, to send you out, to equip you, to, to, so that the death of Christ can be made real in your life and the life of Jesus can be manifested in your bodies. And he says in verse 16, because of all this, we do not lose heart. Your so our outer self is wasting away. That's the suffering you experience every day. Your outer self is wasting away. Our inner self, character, hope, perseverance is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as you look not to the things that are seen with our eyes, but the things that are unseen, the spiritual things, for the things that are seen are transient, they're fading, they're ephemeral, they're here today, gone tomorrow. But the things that are unseen are eternal, everlasting, will never fade away. And Jesus lives a life that models this. You know, these past six years of Missy and I being in, in Toronto, stepping in, into this and, and God propelling us with this, with this verse, they have been, they've been the most difficult years of our lives. Miss and I have been married for 15 years. Our hardest year of marriage was year nine to 10, the year we moved to Toronto. It's the hardest year. We had a two-year-old and a one-year-old at that time. And it was so hard. Not our first year of marriage, which most people say is. Um, our hardest year is when we stepped out in faith and then said, this is going to be true for us as we live out on mission. We want Jesus, your, your, your death, to be alive in us and your life to be manifested in our bodies to the city, to this, to, uh, to this community. And, and uh, they've been the hardest. Like We, we have known more suffering in the past six years than we've ever known before, cumulative. And I told you about all my scars. (laughs) Cumulatively, though, we've known more in these past six years. We have more people stab us in the back, betray us, gossip about us, talk about us. I've been more criticized in the past six years than I ever have. I've been, I've been. and, And these are people when I say, we do this for your sake. These are people where I say, we're doing this for you. Nobody prays for you probably like like we do. Nobody is in a relationship with you like like uh, like we are with somebody. Like, and and these are the same people that have turned and, and have have said no that we don't we don't want that and and stabbed us in the back. And we have we've experienced more uh, spiritual warfare in these past sixty years than we ever have. We've experienced the experienced the crucible like feels like the flames are like raging. And, and it's been like, yeah, it's just been hot and, and hard uh, these past six years. But guess what? They've also, these past six years have also been the best years of my life. Because suffering is paired with glory. Because suffering produces endurance. And endurance leads to character and character leads to hope. And I've known the abundant life of Jesus more than I ever have in these past six years. I've known community deeper than I ever have th- in these past six years than I ever have. I didn't know a community like this was possible, guys. When we moved here to start this, like, I had no idea I'd have relationships like this that uh, were so like Acts chapter 2. Like, I had no idea that that type of church was possible until we stepped down into this. And you guys have all been a part of that. And Jesus, in his last moments, what does he do? He chooses to recline at a table. He knows suffering is coming. He chooses to recline at a table with his disciples and the one who's going to betray him. He knows just hours later, Judas is going to stab him in the back with a kiss on his face. And Jesus still chooses to spend his last moments with him. He says it's all for your sake. Guys, who would you spend your last moments with? What would you do in your last moments? Would it be, would it be this? Would it be with the people who are going to betray you? Because guess what? No one around that table was there with him in the end. Judas wasn't the only betrayer at that table. Do you realize that? They all left him, they all fled. We don't, we don't, the next time we see Peter after this Passover, he tells Peter and John specifically, the next time we see Peter, uh, what is he doing? He's denying Jesus in public three different times. Jesus, like, links eyes with him across the courtyard on his third time when the rooster crows. Can you imagine what Peter feels in that moment? Can you imagine, can you imagine what Jesus feels in that moment? Like, his closest like one of his closest people, right? And then we don't see John until he's at the foot of the cross. It's too late, John. Jesus is up on the cross, bleeding out, naked, humiliated, spat upon, mocked, insulted. And yet Jesus in that moment still loves John and still says, John, take care of my mom. Jesus lived a life of suffering. He's called the suffering servant. And at the very end, he chose to be with those people who were gonna betray him and leave him. Guys, we can't control the results of what people do when we share our faith. We can't control the results of what we do when we give ourselves in a relationship. All we can do is be faithful to live like Jesus and allow his life to be manifested in our mortal bodies. And just be faithful and just live like Jesus and just model Jesus. Jesus, we're gonna talk about this next week because you know Good Friday happens, Easter happens. And Jesus dies and he appears He appears to the disciples. And you know when Jesus appears to the disciples, he's in a perfect body but he still has the scars. He still has the scars in his hands. He still has the scar in his side. Why? Like, why would Jesus in his perfect body still carry the scars of his greatest suffering? Because they're also the story of his greatest glory. This light momentary affliction is preparing in you an eternal weight of glory for Christ Jesus. So we welcome suffering like he welcomed it. And we welcome others into that because it gives them a new perspective on who Jesus is and why our lives are are this way. And so next week when we do that, we could invite people into this beautiful story, this beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it, is, it, it cuts us and it heals us and it transforms us and it shapes us and it makes us into uh, who you want us to be. And I pray that above all else, our identity would be in you, Jesus, that our destiny would be in you so we can influence this city and this world for your glory. Give us renewed perspectives on our suffering. And for where we're suffering for unrighteousness' sake, Father, we give that to you as a church, and we release that to you. And and where we are suffering for righteousness' sake, as a church, we want to say yes and rejoice in that, and we want to boast in that, and we want to glory in that suffering because it is your glory, Lord Jesus. And so we love you and we remember you in this time. We pray this in your name. Amen.
0: If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.